Welcome to State Road 49, an audio program that shares extraordinary stories from everyday people. I'm your host, Aaron Freinberger, and I'd like to thank you for coming back. Today's guest is Walt Weaver, pastor of Faith Church in Anderson, Indiana. Nearly 40 years ago, he had a severe accident. He shared that incident with us. Just as a note, there are some graphic details in this story, so if you are sensitive, please beware. Here we go. I was an iron worker by trade, St. Louis, Missouri. I was 18 years old. It was my summer job while I was uh, going to school to be an artist. So we're working on the roof of a building that was about 100 years old. They're making train cars down below, five-story building. And uh, I was putting a new roof on that building, cutting a sprinkler system uh, with a gas-powered saw. As I cut the sprinkler system, it fell on the steel that I was standing on. It was only about four inches wide. I fell from the steel, landed with my chest about 20 feet down first and hit an overhead crane. I couldn't hold on, fell the rest away to the ground, landing face first on concrete. When I landed on the overhead crane, it wound up that they think there that every single one of my ribs are broken. The doctors said they thought that the bones went into my lungs and I had ruptured lungs. They thought the bones went into my heart. I had massive hematoma of the chest, which is just a a bloody bruise. I had my neck fractured in several places. My back was broken. I had uh, broke every single one of my ribs, later documented by x-ray. I had separated my right shoulder, pulled both collarbones out of socket, uh, broke my uh, right arm, and my left leg was turned around backwards. Other than that, though, I was doing okay. Not, not everyone does remember falling. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, matter of fact, it's pretty common uh, for someone to have that kind of traumatic injury to where they pass out. I did not pass out whenever I uh, landed, and so I was able to, to retain. You, you don't remember little details, but you remember the big events. I was conscious, and uh, the first thing that I do remember is someone that was running toward me and was praying, Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus. <laughs> it's always nice to have a guy praying, dear Jesus, but then that's when things started to, to kind of get worse. You know, you ever have one of those days when nothing goes right, but they had tore out the road on the way to the building that I was working on, and they were digging out a big hole for a tank, and it wound up that the ambulance couldn't even get to me. The man that was praying for me said he uh, volunteered to pray for me till the ambulance came, and he said he prayed for over an hour before the ambulance was able to get to me. 
Could you even speak while this was happening? Uh, it's one of those moments where you feel like you're communicating and later you realize that uh, no one is comprehending. I felt like I was a lot more coherent and connected to what was taking place. I think when people see someone with traumatic head injuries like that, the assumption is that there's no way they'll be able to, to know what we're saying, that it just looks impossible. One of the things that I don't share all that often is uh, a prayer that I prayed just uh, two Sundays before. I was in church and uh, I just felt like God was dealing with my heart and he wanted He wanted me to talk to him. So I didn't want to go to the altars uh, with everyone else. So I crawled up in the choir loft. We didn't have a choir. I crawled up in the choir loft and I was just talking to God about the tone that I'm talking now no one else is ever up there, but it so happens that, that there was someone in our youth group that felt like God told her to go into the choir loft. She just listened to my prayers. Had I known she was there, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have prayed out loud. But I, I remember saying, God, I would pay any price for revival because I just recently recommitted my life to Jesus Christ and I wanted everyone to be as in love with Jesus as I felt like I was. I said, God, I would pay any price for revival and I didn't hear God in my ears, but in my heart, I felt like God asked me, would you be willing to die? And I remember taking my time to answer that question. And I said, yeah, God, I'd be willing to die if you promise me that you'll send revival to my church. So that was two Sundays before I fell. And uh, so when people ask what was going through your mind, uh, what went through my mind is I'm gonna die, uh, but it's okay because uh, God has promised me he'll send revival. Can you elaborate on what send revival means? You know, uh, that's a question I don't think anyone's ever asked me before. Uh, but Good, because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, whenever I have a mental picture of what most people probably think about with revival. I think uh, in my circles, anyhow, it'd be an uh, event, an encounter, it would be uh, energy and, you know, praise and worship. But that wasn't what I felt like I was praying. I think what I was praying was that I know people that go to church and they sing the same songs I sing, hear the same sermon that I hear, and they read the same Bible that I read and they aren't content. They haven't fallen in love with Jesus. And there was something inside of me, and still is to this day, that I want people to love Jesus the way that I love him. And for me, that was a revival. I had grown up in the church and, uh, and actually uh, had a, a sincere relationship with Christ, but uh, I always had my Christian friends that I could always fall back on. Uh, you know how you go to school and you, you have that pressure, uh, and they said, why don't you go to that party? Why don't you do that? And it was okay if I didn't fit in with certain crowds because I always had my Christian friends. But uh, a few years before I'd reconnected with Christ is my Christian friends that came to me and said that they didn't want to spend time with me anymore because I wasn't doing some of the things that they were doing. And it's not an excuse. Uh, I just made a conscious decision to do some, some things to fit in uh, that uh, just went totally against God's word and God's plan for my life. 
But those same people that, that told me they wouldn't hang around with me if I didn't start to compromise, they had encounter with God and came to me later and said that I was actually messing with their relationship with God. And if I didn't give my life back to Jesus, that they wouldn't hang around with me anymore. <laughs> and, and that's really, that's honestly what, what got me going that I, I realized I had made such foolish decisions in life and I needed to reconnect with Christ. And when I did, I just felt alive. There's just no other way to explain to it than I just felt alive. They loaded me up the ambulance and they uh, sent me to St. Louis University Hospital, uh, which was uh, a university hospital where they uh, trained future surgeons and those sort of things. So it was the best place to go for traumatic injury. When I got there, they started doing all the tests that you do when someone's broken so severely. Uh, but it's only a matter of time before they, they realize that there's no uh, human way that I would survive till the next morning. They didn't make that as clear to me as they did to my family. My pastor was uh, there and they wound up telling my pastor to break the news to my family that I wouldn't live to the morning and they needed to plan a funeral. And uh, he said, later he said, I meant to tell your family exactly what the doctor said, but before it came out, it was like my words got messed up. And he said, rather than say, you need to plan a funeral, he said, you need to plan a prayer meeting. And uh, it really triggered that, you know, knee-jerk response, that need to pray. And uh, they started praying there in the hospital for God to do the miraculous. They said that my head had swollen up as wide as my shoulders. Uh, so you don't have that, you don't even look human. Uh, in fact, uh, as the swelling started to go down over the following days, the nurses were commenting. They said, we didn't know you had a mustache uh, because my head had swollen enough they couldn't even tell that that had taken place. So I think when you see someone with those kind of injuries, even if you know eyes are open, even if you know they're breathing, I think there's this sense that because of that kind of injury, the brain has to be damaged and they weren't nearly as cautious about the things that they said. They did not do surgery the first day I was in the hospital uh, because they thought I was gonna die. I didn't die quick enough and so they rolled me into the hallway of the St. Louis Hospital because it was Friday and they needed the emergency room. And when they left me in the hallway basically to die, uh, since I didn't die, uh, they decided they would have surgery and they said that they did not give me any pain meds because they were afraid it might trigger uh, some kind of adverse response and the liability that goes along with that. So I just had to basically suffer. Next morning they do surgery. Uh, one of the things I do recall is when they took me out of surgery, they rolled me past the uh, waiting room where my folks and pastor was. Pastors have the privilege of moving around in hospitals a little more than family. My pastor came over and as the elevator was, was uh, you know, coming our way, wound up that he started a prayer for me. And uh, he said he'd never forget it as long as he lives because just a few minutes earlier, they had given him a briefing about their surgery and said, I'd be blind in my right eye. They thought I was blind anyhow, but in order to keep scarring down on my face, they went ahead and did surgery through the eye socket. 
it winds up that he says when he got done with his prayer, he said, I looked at him in the eye I was supposed to be blind in, and I winked at him. And he said, that's when I knew that God had done a miracle. It's really hard for me to say, but from the eyes of my parents uh, or from friends, everyone had, or doctors, everyone had a different view of what was going to take place. But uh, if you listen to the doctors, they had some hope that I might uh, survive for a short period of time now. But there was not hope that there would be extended quality of life. They had no hope whatsoever. What I haven't shared is that uh, as people prayed, God started to do uh, what I would call the miraculous. Uh, I had an arm that was broken, uh, but no longer broken. I didn't remember my leg being broken, but the uh, guys who drove the ambulance came in the next day and they asked me where my cast was on my leg. And I said, well, my leg isn't broken. They said, oh, it was. And so I felt like God was doing these miracles, but I still had head injuries and still had lung injuries. And when you talk about what's going through your mind, Sometimes when it comes to God and what he does or doesn't do, it's so confusing because I wish there were rules. You know, if you do this and this happens, if you do this and this happens, but there aren't any rules. It's just that we do life and uh, we do our best to follow the example that God's given us. I had fallen on Friday and uh, the nine days later, on that Sunday, after church, everyone came over to the hospital. We had hospital church. And after hospital church, we had Sunday evening service and everyone went back to church for the Sunday evening service. Winds up that the Saturday before that Sunday, a lady by the name of Sister Biga came in to visit. And she walked up to me and she says, I've been praying, I got a word from God. And I said, what's that? And she says, you're gonna get out of the hospital tomorrow and go to church. Now, I was a little, a little shocked to hear it because I'm in semi-intensive care at this point. You don't walk out of semi-intensive care and go to church. Uh, as a matter of fact, I heard uh, my folks say, praise the Lord, I believe it. I had a friend there who said, praise the Lord, I believe it. And I was sharing room with a guy who wasn't even a Christian, but he had seen everything that's been going on. He says, I believe it too. <laughs> and, and everyone believed it really, except for me, uh, because I knew how much I hurt. You know, I knew how much further we had to go. So on Sunday morning, the doctor came by and it's my lung injuries now as much as anything that's keeping me in the hospital. And he's listened to my lung injuries and uh, he starts writing in a, a, little, a little clipboard. And I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I said you'd be in the hospital at least another 30 days, but I don't know how to explain it, but you're just gonna be in the hospital for one more week. And I, I, re- I remember thinking, well, that's not how Sister Biga said it. Uh, but I mean, that's great. If God takes your hospital stay from 30, you know, down to one week, I think that's a good thing. So whenever we were in the hospital uh, Sunday night, the doctor that only comes by and does his rounds on Sunday morning came back into the room. Uh, it wound up that the nurses, I think, were more amazed that he showed up than anything else that happened the whole time I was there. And uh, he says, are you okay? And he is pale. And I said, are you okay? And he says, I just need to ask you a question. And I said, what's that? And he says, if you were in your car and you're by yourself and all of a sudden there was a voice that came in the car, what do you think that would be? And I said, 
I think that would be Sister Bega praying you through. That's what I think it would be. <laughs> uh, and he says, I think maybe I heard God. Uh, I said, maybe you did. He said, can I listen to your lung injuries for my own sanity? And he, he began to listen to my lung injuries. And when he got done, he picked up the clipboard and he started writing. I said, what are you doing now? And he says, I'm breaking hospital policy. He says, it's against policy to allow you to go home uh, when you're in semi-intensive care, that you're in here because of lung injuries and you don't have lung injuries anymore. As a result, he let me leave the hospital on that Sunday, just like Sister Bika said. And I, I walked down the hallway, not in a wheelchair, not with crutches, not with a limp. I walked down that hallway as a living testimony that our God is a miracle working God. And I didn't go home. I went to church. I was there for that Sunday evening service to, uh, uh, to celebrate what God had done. Remember Sherry that was uh, hearing my prayer that I said I'd pay any price for revival? That Sunday morning that I got out of the hospital that evening in the morning service, she's weeping. And it winds up that the pastor uh, turns her, stops his sermon because she's weeping so out of control and said, uh, Sherry, what's going on? And she said something like this. She says, I have a friend who's in the hospital and he's going to die because he prayed for revival for this church and no one here gives a rip. And said when she said that, there's just this presence of God that filled the room and people got up and started running to the altars and praying that God would do a miracle. So that Sunday evening, when they got the word that I'd be in the hospital another week, no one was expecting me to come in. And I remember the song service had started and I was a little bit late, but I was gonna go to church. As I opened up the, the doors of the church, the congregation was singing, he has done great things. And uh, every head turned around and uh, watched a miracle walk down the aisle that night. Well, on Tuesday after I had fallen, uh, my mom and dad went home for the first time. Uh, they were gonna get a good night's rest and shower. I, again, was in semi-intensive care. They, they had buttons that you push so you could call for the nurse. And we had rehearsed because I had a trach. They had to uh, suction out or vacuum out some of the, the things that were building up in my lungs. And if they didn't do that, I would suffocate. Uh, so we practiced, I hit the button and they call for the nurse and in the intensive care, they take pretty good care of you. And so they, we had this thing down to uh, a science. Mom and dad left, they felt pretty comfortable about things. That Tuesday evening, I had a time where it was just me and Jesus. And I, I couldn't pray out loud, but in my heart I was praying. And uh, I saw what I would call a vision. Some people would call a dream, uh, but uh, what I saw in my mind anyhow was a, a pure white cloud with rainbow colored lightning that would shoot in all different directions. I didn't understand it at all, but I was fascinated by it. But the closer it got to me, the more I, I felt what I would call the, the presence of, of God. And for people that maybe have never experienced that, that might sound mystical, but if you have experienced it, there's just something, this, this awareness that you are in the presence of something way more grand than you are. But I still didn't understand it. Later, as the cloud drew closer to me, I could see there was something in the cloud. And as I tried to focus on it, I could see that there were hands. 
and I saw that the hands had scars. And then I knew who it was. And I had this moment to where I, I'm kind of ashamed to say it now, but uh, the hand, when it was extended to me, I thought I was going to die again. So I thought I was going to die. And I didn't really want to die. And I remember in my heart going, I don't, I don't want to reach out my hand. I don't want to do that. And something uh, just inside of me said, what could be better than taking a hold of the hand of Jesus? And I remember reaching out and, and touching the hand. And when I did, I got kind of a, to see like a flashback of me falling in. And the doctors had told my family they couldn't talk about the accident because it would put me through trauma. So I didn't even know what had happened at this point. And why is it I could see myself on the building, I could see myself fall, I could see myself hit a crane. But in the process, I also saw five angels appear and they were above me. And as I finally fell to the ground, they stood around me and they started to sing. And I remember I started to sing too. As I laid there in, in this dream, as I laid there on the concrete bleeding, the angels singing, I thought I'm going to heaven, for sure I'm going to heaven. Jesus bent down beside me and kissed me on my right cheek. And when he did, all the pain left my body for the very first time since I've been in the hospital. And some people said, well, maybe you had a, some hallucination. If I did, whenever I got done, I had no more pain. I didn't even take aspirin the whole time I was in the hospital. And that was a pivotal moment uh, in the whole experience. That's when people started to say, he may not die. He might actually survive. My observation is traumatic experience uh, is something that no one volunteers for. Uh, I've had people tell me before, they say, I wish I had a testimony like you. And I always say, no, you don't, because this testimony hurts. But you have these stories about people who are going through traumatic events of life from cancer to divorce. And when they look back on their lives, I would say without exception, they'll look back and say, I wouldn't have volunteered for that. But it was the key moment, one of the key moments in my life and my relationship with God. I understand God better. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Would you do it again tomorrow? No. Would I trade it for anything? No because that was the experience where I got to know God just a little bit better. I think probably the thing that has changed is surrender. That there's a, there's a natural human quality that pushes against God's best plan for our lives. And I don't know why it's in us. At least it was in me. And I'm still very much that human that resists from time to time the best plans of God. But there's something that happens where you, you have that near-death moment and you realize it's not as scary as it is before you get there. Uh, that you get on the, the brink of heaven and there's no fear. I can tell you that I have scars. And that's been one of the revelation moments uh, in my life. Uh, the stories that we read in the scripture of people who 
have scars. We, we have in our mind sometimes that the miraculous has no scars. Uh, and yet Jesus and his resurrected body uh, still bear scars. Uh, you see Jacob who wrestled with the angel and now he walks with a limp. And his limp is his testimony that he wrestled with God and won. I saw someone with a t-shirt recently that read, scars are tattoos with better stories. And I think that uh, we sometimes still walk with limps and sometimes we still bear scars, but it's part of the testimony. Once again, that was Pastor Walt Weaver, who we'd like to thank for sharing his story. And we'd like to thank you for listening. For more information, scroll down to the show notes. I'm Aaron Freinberger, and this is State Road 49. Produced by Aaron Freinberger, Matt Willingham, and Garrett Schultz. It is executive produced by the Heartland Christian Center. Visit their website at hcc3d.com. That is hcc3d.com. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Garrett Schultz. Music by Thomas Kilobos. For more information about the program, visit us at facebook.com stateroad49. This program was produced in Valparaiso, Indiana.